Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> Some months ago, when we started studying the Gospel of Matthew, we actually looked at this passage. And as the Lord allows, when we are heading into January, we'll return to Matthew's Gospel and continue our study verse by verse through that Gospel. But today, we're going to look at the very beginning of the Gospel, the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, talking about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew's Gospel. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, well, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved that he would put her away quietly. But as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sin. All of this took place to fulfill the prophet which was spoken. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he didn't know her and know her not rather until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, the old wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's born the king of the Jews? For we've seen his star rise and have come to worship him. Now, when Herod the king heard this, well, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Assembling all of his chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired and said, Where is this Christ to be born? They told him, Well, in Bethlehem of Judea. That's what's written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring him to me or bring word to me rather that I may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star they'd seen when it rose before them, it did until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were rejoicing exceedingly with great, tremendous joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
when they had departed, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Go and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night, and they departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill the prophet of the Lord, which was spoken out of Egypt. I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years and under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Father, there's a tremendous amount of truth in this story. Incredible amount for us to process and think on more than we could possibly do this morning. Lord, bless my words, the way I speak them, the way that they are heard. May it be glorifying to you and may it be transforming to each person in this room, including me. We pray for our church family members who aren't with us, those who are sick, those who are traveling, have to work, watch over them, and Lord, be near them and let them know how much we love them. Father, we pray for this community. It needs your gospel. These folks need to know the love of Jesus that we experience. Use us, Father, to be your salt and your light in this community of Linwood, County of Leavenworth, and beyond. All across this community, this county, this state, this nation, this globe, where the gospel is being preached in every place, every pulpit, we're grateful. We ask you to go with power and impact. Again, Lord, here we are in this place at this hour to hear your word. Speak to us. Open our ears and our eyes. Soften our hearts to receive your word, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. A few things to notice quickly. Joseph was a great man, a wonderful man. As we said last week, no doubt Jesus chose Mary specifically for her character, but also obviously Joseph for his. When it turned out that she was pregnant, he could have shamed her and looked good himself, but he did not do that. He loved her, was going to take care of her. And in a dream, God came to him and said, you don't need to worry, she's still a virgin. This is child is of the Holy Spirit. So he married her and they did not know one another until after Jesus was born. But you know, we'll talk next week and on Christmas Eve about what happened that night as they journeyed to Bethlehem and what happened there as she, as she gave birth to Jesus. But this story really unfolds about what happens later. Here is this wonderfully unique story only found in the Gospel of Matthew about the visit of these very unusual men. We don't know their name. We don't know where they came from. And regardless of what your nativity set has in it, we don't know that there were three and we don't know that they rode camels. Uh, you're supposed to laugh at that. But we really don't know. We really don't know that there were three. We always, and part of that is because we three kings of Orient are. That's a song, not a scripture. We know there were more than one. <laughs> they were plural. They were wise men from the east. We don't know how many. Uh, Persia, I would assume, is where they came from. And they were men of, of some tremendous intelligence and, and probably some tremendous wealth and tremendous influence. And it's the oddest thing in the world that these men of tremendous intelligence, tremendous wealth, tremendous political influence would take a long and perilous journey to this little place of, of, of Israel, this little community, this, this little out-of-the-way country and, and Judea of all places to seek a king that they 
understood was born. Oh, it was the star that led them. In all of the universe, God has created literally hundreds, if not trillions, of hundreds of billions, if not trillions of stars. The James Webb Telescope has revealed so much in the last few weeks of even how more vast and glorious the universe truly is. And there are truly billions upon billions of galaxies with stars that we can't even begin to count. There's no way. And yet the scripture says God made every star. He knows it by name and he holds it in place by his mighty power. The heavens declare his glory. You can imagine as God created all the heavens and all the beauty of them, there was to be one star of out of all of the billions and billions and billions, there was to be one star that he would create that would have a specific job. It would, it would represent all of the heavens to announce the birth of God's son on planet earth. And on that night it came and that star did what it was created to do. And it announced the birth of God on earth. And we will talk so much, although briefly, I promise you, very briefly, but very succinctly on Christmas Eve, we will talk about God on earth, Emmanuel, God with us. As God came to earth in the form of Jesus, it was that star that announced it across the heavens. And it was those wise men, however many they were, and wherever they came from. Listen to me, church. They represent you and me. They represent the Gentiles. Jesus was born as a Jew. He was born to be the king of the Jews. He was born in Israel. He was a son of David. He was from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And those were the chosen people through which the world would be blessed. But God chose in his providence to have this star bring these men from the east, these Gentiles, to come and do what the Jews had not done and to bow down and worship him. To make it abundantly clear that Jesus is for all of the world, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from. These were not Jews. These were not Hebrews. These were not from Israel. These were men far off from a different culture. But they had recognized the star. They had recognized God. They understood his story. And all are welcome. And so they made this long and difficult journey guided by a star. When they get to Israel, they do what they expected to do. They, they went to see the king and said, well, you must know that the new king has been born. It was the first Herod had heard about it. Herod was not a stable man. He was not a good man. He was a terrible man. He was not a good king. He wasn't even truly 100% in, 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 he would never have been king if it weren't for the Romans. He was a puppet. He was placed there. I mean, he was, he was not even really, he was not even, he was not even an active participant in the Jewish religion. He didn't know anything. He didn't care about anything. All he cared about was himself and his power. And he did whatever the Romans told him to do. He was a corrupt, terrible king, a terrible person. He was an oppressor of his people. He did whatever the Romans told him to do so he could keep his power, keep his authority, keep his palace. He was a collaborator if you would think of, of, of what might take place in 
Czechoslovakia or in France during the Second World War. He, he would have been a collaborator with Hitler. He would have been the one that Hitler would have put in power to maintain control over the population. That's how hated he was. That's how wicked he was. So when the scripture says that Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, you bet, because when Herod's troubled, there's going to be trouble, and there was. Don't lose sight of the fact that these Gentiles from far off understood that the king was born. The king in the same community had no idea that Jesus was there. So blinded was he. He called together the scribes and the priests and said, well, where's this king supposed to be born? They said, well, the scripture says in, in Bethlehem. But then in the story, the narrative takes up where the wise men, after they visit Herod, the star appears to them again. And this time, miraculously, the star takes them. What a glorious story over the very house where the child was. I know you've got a star over your manger scene and it might have been there and you do have some of you have wise men in your manger scene because they're beautiful all dressed up but they weren't there <laughs> it's okay to put them there it's sort of just yeah i get it. they're part of the story but they came much later the term for child is different than the term for infant. And they didn't go into the barn or the stable or the manger. They went into the house where the child was. Probably a year to 18 months after Jesus was born came the visit of the wise men in the house where Jesus was. I imagine how surprised Mary and Joseph would have been. Joseph was just a poor carpenter. Carpenters in those days didn't build houses. They built they built roots, some furniture perhaps, but they would mainly build things for agriculture, plows and, and, and things like that, yokes. So no doubt there was a shop or a workshop there in their home and Joseph would be working and there's little Jesus, 18 months old perhaps, this little, little Hebrew home and in this little Judean town and all of a sudden, into this town comes this caravan of kings and, and wealthy political individuals, probably with a huge caravan. It would have just been three of them. No doubt they would have had all kinds of servants and everything else with them. It would have been like a parade into town. And they come to this little tiny house with this little poor family of three. And they are not the least bit turned away by the fact that this is an out-of-the-way town and a very humble home. It doesn't look like a place where a king would live. It doesn't look like a palace. But they knew, oh, they knew, because the star had shown them this was the king of the Jews. This was the king. And the scripture says, this is so important, church, don't miss this. What did they do? They didn't just go look at him. They didn't just go meet him. They didn't go just take a selfie with him. They worshipped him. They worshipped an 18-month-old. They worshipped in the most humble home you could imagine. These wealthy kings who no doubt came from huge palaces of great power. 
They come in and they cram into this little home and they worship this little child. Oh, what a glorious picture that must have been. What a sight of foretelling that one day, listen to me, one day, and that day is coming, and it is a certainty, one day, there'll be no doubt who Jesus is. There'll be no doubt that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He'll come one day as a lion. He'll come one day as the king. He'll come one day as the undisputed ruler of all of the universe. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Every king, every powerful, every person will confess that Jesus is Lord. For some of them, they'll know he's Lord, but it'll be too late. The opportunity for them to have received him will have passed. The scripture says after that there'll come a great judgment and he will separate the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats. But even the chaff and the goats will know Jesus is Lord. There will be no doubt in one human being for all eternity who Jesus is. This is a foreshadowing of these kings bowing down before this child. But then they worshiped him they fell down and worshipped him, and then they opened their treasures. Worship always involves leaving behind what you value and seeking something more valuable. That's what worship is. They left behind their kingdoms, they left behind their, their palaces, they left, and they came and worshipped something far more valuable than the things they had at home. <clears throat> they worshipped Jesus. Worship also involves bowing down and submitting and acknowledging that that is far greater than you are. Some of us have a hard time worshiping because we don't want to leave what we have. We like our sinful life. We like the things of the world. Some of us have a hard time worshiping because we don't want to bow down before Jesus. We don't want anyone telling us what to do or how to live or how to think. We decide our own life. We decide our own truth. We decide what matters for us. We don't want anyone telling us what truth is. We don't want anyone telling us that there's absolute truth in the world. There isn't any absolute truth. Whatever I decide I am, I am. Whatever I decide truth is, truth is. You want to worship? You've got to leave behind what you value. You want to worship? You've got to bow down and realize there is an authority greater than you. When you want to worship, you bring your gifts. I don't mean you write a check to Linwood Baptist Church. You could give all your money to Linwood you had. You give all your money to the, to the foreign mission board around the world. You could sell your house. You could sell your car. You could sell your farm. You could give your 401k to feed people all around the world. You could give it all to this church and it wouldn't buy you five seconds outside of hell. You stand before God and he says, why should I let you in my heaven? He said, well, I gave the church all of my money. I don't care. Doesn't take away your sin. This isn't the mafia, we don't protect you from Satan if you give us money. That's not how this thing works. The only reason I let you into my heaven, the only reason you avoid being an object of my wrath in hell is that my son Jesus came and died and I poured out my wrath for your sin on him. Have you repented of that sin and have you received his free gift of salvation? Because if you have, enter my kingdom. Now, if you are his child, you'll want to give 
to the church. You know, well, that's the point. If you really know him, you'll want to worship and you'll want to give not only your money, but your time, your affection, your priorities. You'll give to the one that you're worshiping. And so sure enough, a picture of worship is to leave behind those things, to come to the one that you're worshiping, to bow down before him and to open your heart and your life and to realize he's the greatest treasure you could ever have and to give him all that you have. And the greatest thing is when you give him all that you have, you receive so much more in return. So there they were. They fell down, they worshiped him, they opened their treasures, they offered him gifts, three gifts. We say this every year, but it's because it's true and you need to hear it. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's amazing how that's gotten into the culture because of, of the scripture, of the story of Christmas. You could ask almost anybody on the street, even if they never went to church, what did the wise men bring? And they'll often say gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I have no idea what they mean, but that's what they are. So this morning, once again, <clears throat> let's look at the very important issue of what these gifts mean and how they describe for you who Jesus is and how he is impactful in your life. First, the gift of gold. The gold is something that represented a king. A king's power was directly connected to the amount of gold that he had. That is why wars were fought over gold. Gold showed his power. He would wear it on his, on his crown and in his jewels and in his scepter. He would have a throne of gold. There would be gold in his palace. You, you, you don't bring gold to an 18-month-old. <laughs> you bring it to a king. And the gold represents the fact and did these wise men fully understand why they brought these gifts? I don't know. We don't even know who they were. Because listen, the story of the scripture is not a story about you or me or the wise men. It's a story about Jesus. We don't know their names. We don't know where they came from. We don't know where they went back to. We just know they were there. And God laid it on their heart to bring these three gifts. And I, I, I get the feeling that this is just my impression, all right? I don't think they brought a little tiny box of gold. Can you imagine wise men from the east with camels and donkeys and servants? They come into this little house. There's a star above it. The whole town is looking at them. Mary and Joseph still amazed that everything has gone on in their life in the last year or two. And here these wise men signal for their servants and they go out and off of those camels they bring these bags of gold. Coins, bars, jewelry. They no doubt just lay it out there in front of this small 12, 18 month old boy. Because <laughs> he's a king. And the gold represents his kingship. He is the king. And listen, the king is the ultimate authority. That's what it means to be a king. Not in the not in the constitutional monarchies we have today but in the idea of the king in those days the idea of the king was the one through which all authority was given whatever the king said was what it was there was no discussion there was no debate there was no voting he's in charge he's the king Jesus is the king God's in charge God created you he created me we are totally his creation for his joy, for his fellowship. He has an absolute right to do whatever he wants with us. And we're so grateful he's a benevolent king who only wants the best for us. 
but he is a king. The gold represents his power. Listen to me, his authority in all things for all time in all the universe, including your life and my life. He's the king. And that's where some people just walk away. I don't want a king. I want to be my own king. That's exactly what Satan said to Adam and Eve in the garden. Do you really want to not eat of that tree? Don't you really want to know everything God knows? Don't you really want to make decisions for yourself? Don't you really want to be the one in charge? Doesn't that really sound good? Oh, that sounds wonderful. Let me ask you something. How well is that working out on planet Earth? How well do we treat each other? told you last week, over 100 million people killed each other in two world wars in the 20th century. How well is that working out for us? Look around at our culture today. Look at all the brokenness, all the murders. We're going to have 160 homicides in Jackson and Cass County that we're going to look at in a week and a half. And it just keeps getting worse. I was at Walmart yesterday and this lady just had her cart full of stuff and she just whizzed right out the door. The lady standing there said, ma'am, ma'am, and she said, someone said, she just took that, and she said, I know I'm, I'm not allowed to go after her. People just go take what they want. I mean, how well is this working out when we're going to decide what truth is and what reality is and who the authority is? It's in our best interest to submit to him. The greatest civilizations Western world has ever known have not come when they didn't believe in God. They collapsed when they quit believing in God. Could go on and on, but I don't have time. And you probably don't care. Anyway, about the history, I mean. But anyway, he was a king. Secondly, they brought them frankincense. Now that's incense. That's what that is. You would burn it and it would have this wonderful aroma. Listen, in the first century, there weren't very many good aromas. <laughs> Every aroma was bad, all right? In the first century, there were animals everywhere because there were no cars, all right? And so there, wherever there are animals, there is animal uh, waste. And that animal waste would have been everywhere. In fact, many homes they had in, in their courtyard, they would have a goat or they would have a cow or they would have some chickens. They would have those right there, sometimes right in the courtyard. And they're up and down these tiny narrow streets. They weren't wide streets, little narrow streets. Donkeys and camels and would go up and down. And I mean, there weren't people coming along every night and cleaning up the streets, all right? It was not, a, there was not a pleasant smell. And then all the human waste and all the garbage. Cities were not places that smelled good. And so when people would go to a temple to worship, in order to help them transition from the earthliness and the, the grittiness and the ugliness of the world, they would burn very expensive incense that came from far eastern countries. And this incense, they would walk into a temple of worship, and there they would all of a sudden not just be surrounded by perhaps beautiful architecture, but the, the aroma would be so different than anything they'd experienced. It would be sweet. It would be pleasant. And the, 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 the aroma indicated that, that they were in, 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 in something happening, and there was a transition, and it was an indication of deity. In other words, incense indicates his deity. He's worthy of worship. He's God. This little 12-month-old kid in this little Hebrew house, he's not only a king of ultimate authority in all the universe, but he's God. <laughs> he's the one who created the whole universe. 
He's never had a beginning. He'll never have an ending. He's the only one worthy of worship. And the incense indicates his worthiness of worship as deeply as God. Now listen, the world, they like to think that there's a higher power. They like to think there's a force out there somewhere. Most Americans like to believe in prayer, even though they don't really want to talk about who they're praying to. We all want to believe in some spiritual force, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the ultimate creator of the universe, the one who spoke it into being, the one to whom we are made in his likeness and his image, but the one in whom we should, listen, we should be fearful and tremble in his presence because of his awesome power. Again, you go to the James Webb Telescope or anything else you watch about science and you see, the, the, just look at the nature of the stars. You know, our sun is a, is a relatively small star in the, in, in the universe. There are some, some stars that are 10 times as large as our sun, 1,000 times as large as our sun, 100,000 times as large as our sun. Unbelievable, unbelievable uh, 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 explosions, nuclear reactions going on in those stars of unbelievable size for, for, for billions and millions and millions and billions of years. And those are going on all over the universe all at one time. And the God of the universe invented it, created it, and sustains it all. And here you and I look at it and go, you know what? You're not that big a deal. I can choose my own life. I can choose what's right for myself. You say that now, but it's appointed unto man one time to die, and after death comes the judgment. How's that going to work for you then? He's God. And there is a sense in which we need to come to him first and foremost with that awesome wonder and even a sense of fear and trembling in the right way. Not... And not in that we're fearful of God's, you know, fitful human wrath, you know, anger that would throw at us, but that he is really powerful. And this power is awesome. And I'm not. And he's God. This babe in that manger, you know, people are going to sing all this season wonderful Christmas songs with some amazing biblical lyrics. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We could just go some great biblical lyrics in that. They don't really believe he's their king. They don't really believe he's the one true God who is all-powerful. But the gold symbolizes his kingship. The frankincense symbolizes his divinity. So then why the third gift? What a strange and unusual gift to bring to a baby. Myrrh. Very expensive. Rich people would have it when a loved one died and they would use it for embalming and for at least preparing, I should say, the body for burial. It was something you used at burial. Very expensive. But not exactly a gift you'd bring to a one month, 12 month, 18 month old child. Don't know that the wise men fully understood, but God did, and He had them bring this gift. Not only do the gifts symbolize that He's the King, the ultimate authority, that He's God, the only one true God, but also that this King, this God, came to walk on this earth in the form of a man 
so that he might die. The whole reason Jesus came was to die. You say, well, why didn't he just show up as a 33-year-old man and die that day? <laughs> if that's all it takes, right? Why didn't God just bring him down as a 33-year-old man and just slay him that day, lay all the sin of all the world on him that's going to be redeemed and we'd call it done? Because he had to come and live like you and me from birth until his death and not sin one time. God set the standard of holy, holy, holy. He put Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, you'll have everything you want. You'll have daily communion with me. It'll be total paradise. There's just one thing you can do. You cannot eat of that tree. If you do, you shall surely die. And they looked at God and go, yeah, well, we'll take our chance. And they ate of it. And God kicked him out of the garden and he placed angels at the entrance of the garden so they couldn't get back in. He said, now you're going to physically die. And you have to work hard all of your life. And you're going to have disease and heartache. And it was going to be their own sons who committed the very first murder as they lost, as they buried one son killed by another one. It didn't take long for sin to completely corrupt everything. And there was no way for humanity to come back. So God said, I will come. I will send my son. I will come myself in the form of Jesus Christ, in the incarnation, God with us. And I'll be born just as a human. And I'll live every day. And I will achieve what I set as a standard for humanity to achieve. God set this bar of perfect sinlessness. And the scripture says Jesus was tempted in every way like we were, yet he was without sin. He went through all of his life. And not he didn't just barely make it, right? He didn't just, he, 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 he excelled at it. He did greater than just good enough. He was more than perfect in every way. And so, when Judas betrayed him, when the Romans and the Jews pulled out his beard and put the crown of thorns on him and lashed his back and put the cross on him and he carried it with the help of Simon to the top of Calvary and they laid him down on that cross and they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross and then they laid it in the ground and then at that moment the sun became dark as God's wrath came upon Jesus and God looked at the only perfect spotless lamb one who had lived an entire life without sin and God said I will pour all of the sin of all who will be redeemed on that one perfect spotless individual and I will work out my wrath on him. And he died. Jesus came to do that for you and for me. But thanks be to God, he didn't stay dead, did he? Three days later, he's dead and he's in that tomb. And three days later, in the darkness of that tomb, his body begins to get warm again. Blood begins to throw through his veins again. His breath becomes to comes back again. His breath, his chest begins to heave again. His heart begins to beat again. And then God miraculously burst open the stone from that tomb. And the Roman guards are completely shocked and pass out in fear. And Jesus arises from the dead to live forevermore. And because he lives, we live. We too will not face death for eternity. But death, as I said, the grave is the vestibule to heaven for us. We follow Jesus in life through resurrection. Jesus came to die, listen, 
so that we would not have to die. Jesus came to die in order to kill death and sin and its penalty. Three gifts these wise men, however many they were, came to the house and brought to Jesus. Gold because he's a king, frankincense because he's God, myrrh because he came to die that we might live. And then just in a, another note that many theologians have remarked on, I, it, it, it means something to me devotionally. In a dream, God came to these men and said, don't go back and tell Herod. He has something terrible in plan. And so they went home a different way. Listen to me. You can't come and worship Jesus and go home the same way you came. You always go home different than you came. Father, how I thank you for these ones and their faith in you and their love for you. I thank you for the glorious story of these wise men indicating he is a king. He is God. He came to die. I thank you, Father, that they worshipped him. They left what they loved and cared for. They journeyed long. They bowed before him. They gave of their best and they went home a different way. May that be a picture of all of us, I pray. Lord, I pray that some of us, we won't journey across a long desert to get to you, but we need to journey across a lot of sin and traverse a lot of history. But Lord, may we be as diligent as they were to come to you because you are right here in our midst. If there's one who's never known you, never responded in faith, never prayed to receive you as their Savior, Lord, may this be the moment and the hour when they come to you, drawn not by a star, but drawn by the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit as he draws us to you. These things I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.